thing. Our lesson today is a call to holiness. And it's found in 1 Peter 1, verses 13 through 16. And we will get there in a few minutes. But first, let's just stop and think about where we've been. Uh, The past few Sundays, uh, we've been talking about the Apostle Paul. And I think that you all would agree with me that he is one of the most, if not the most, uh, influential person in Christianity. But Paul wasn't the only one that was living according to God's command and who was living a bold life obediently to the call of Jesus. Uh, Today we're going to look at Peter, his first epistle or first letter to, when he was writing this letter, he was writing it to uh, five different um, provinces in the uh, Roman kingdom. It really was um, modern day Turkey, I guess is, is where it would be. And this letter was written to believers. So we have to keep that in mind. Whenever we're reading these um, passages, we need to decide, is it something for me? Is he telling me personally something that I need to know? Or is he trying to uh, equip me to know how to talk to someone that isn't saved? So he is trying to explain to these believers um, how they should live. And I've been saved maybe, I haven't been saved as long as, um, I'm trying to think, how long have I been saved? Probably about 45 years, okay, I think. I never did write it down. I just know it happened. And I can tell you how it happened. I know what I said. (laughs) So anyway, but even though I've been saved all those years, and you've been saved many years. We haven't arrived. The passage is a call to holiness. And every time pastor says something about being holy, I get like, wow, you know, I could never be like that. And I, I guess it's because I know that God has set a very high standard for we for us as believers. But when we start talking about the doctrine of um, holiness, there's a word that is often used, a very common word among us, which is sanctification. And sanctification is what happens the moment, the process of sanctification is what happens the moment we become saved. Um, So, Tell me what sanctification means. What does the word sanctification mean? It's something that happened. It began when we got saved. What is it? Say it. Set apart. apart. Okay, that's the word. It means being set apart. And I put down here, basically, it is to be sanctified as a believer is when we were saved, we were set apart for what? A specific use. So what is our specific use? What did God set us apart for? To evangelize. To To evangelize, the Great Commission. Mm -hmm. And that's primary. What else? 
glorify God. To glorify God. And whenever I think of that word, I think of that word holy. You know, to be, to have holiness. Uh, to be holy. Well, the same root word, the same word that is translated sanctified also could be saints or um, to make holy. So when we think of being sanctified, being set apart, God set us apart to be holy. And um, so that's kind of the definition. So even though we are set apart at the moment of salvation, we must grow into holiness. This can be called progressive sanctification. In other words, it's just going to keep going until we go to heaven. And um, God has set some very clear specifications as how he would like us to grow into holiness. Let's read um, 1 Peter 1, verses 13 through 16. And in my Bible it says, <clears throat> above that, um, just a note that it's exhortation to holiness. So, um, Wherefore, gird up the loins of your mind... Be sober and hope to the end for the grace that is to be brought unto you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And we're going to look at that. We're going to break that down in a minute. Okay, so as obedient children, not fashioning yourselves according to former lusts in your ignorance, but as he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of of conversation because it is written be ye holy for I am holy okay so Peter is saying this is what you got to do this is going to please God if you will do what he has just said um, so let me ask you this what are the three commands that Peter gives to these people in that passage there are three things he's telling them to do. Is it to gird up your... Gird up your loins. Gird up your the mind. loins so of your mind. Mm -hmm. And hope to the end for the grace. Okay. What was, what was the second one you said? Be sober. Be sober and then hope. Right. Okay, so... <clears throat> I have to break those, those kind of verses down to definitions and things so that my brain can understand... And so this is what um, I found throughout the week. Uh, when Peter speaks of girding up the loins, okay, that is a description of what a person would do. You know, they're wearing these long ga uh, garbs, and they would have to pull up the garb and tuck it into their belt so that they could walk, so that they could run, so they could do anything. Um, so... How does that, what does that mean? You know, I'm thinking, okay, we're not wearing long garbs. What are we supposed to gird? Or what is that really meaning? And this is what I came up with. Okay, so a person in Bible times is going to gird up their, their um, garment, what they're wearing, um, so they can be ready to work. So, we are to keep our mind ready to receive pure thoughts and be able to determine truth. Now, I don't know, that's just what 
it made sense to me so I've got to be ready I've got to have my mind ready and then it goes on to say gird up the loins of your mind so of your mind what does that mean okay so we're we're ready we've got to make sure our mind is ready and what 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 do we mean by that we didn't study the scriptures study the scriptures we've got to know the word of god uh, i put so that we can have pure pure thoughts righteous thoughts written um be ready always to give an answer Yep. The hope that lies within you. So maybe being ready in that regard. I think so. I think that word ready is, it's it's just, don't take it for granted. There is a process which we have to go through in order to be ready. And that is to saturate your mind. Saturate your mind. But, it, you know, have these pure thoughts. Uh, 2 Corinthians 10.5 says, this is how you get your mind ready. Casting down imaginations and every high thing that is that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. In other words, you got to control what you're thinking. And, and it's your duty. Because if you don't, Romans 8, 7 says, the carnal mind, which is the opposite of one who is girding up their mind, um, the carnal mind is enmity against God. And the carnal mind is thinking fleshly thoughts, worldly thoughts. Um, I thought this was interesting, and Britain, you'll appreciate this. So when it talks about being carnal and having a carnal mind, that really is a word coming from the Spanish, meaning um, a carne, which is meat. In other words, um, that word would mean... And she would know better than I. Oh, yeah, I forgot. <laughs> there you are. Uh, to live after the things animals live for? Don't be like that. That's what that really means. So don't feed on things that animals, trash. Yeah, I thought that was a pretty good descriptive way to look at it. And what are we supposed to have? Phyllis? You know, one, one of the things that I'm guilty of when I've got a to-do list going shopping and I think about carnal mind, I'm after those things that I'm supposed to go and get, but I'm also supposed to be ready with my tracks, be ready with who am I going to meet, Lord, you're going to give somebody in my way that I can give a testimony to. So it's not just feasting on the carnal things, but it's while we're out doing everyday things. Everyday life. You know, and that's the thing. I I've really have gotten a lot out of this in my own life to be ready. Right. Just be ready. And, and if, as we get further into the lesson, I mean, I'm not, I fail miserably. I fail. Because it is so easy for us uh, to be overwhelmed or just, you know, focused on the wrong thing. So let's not focus on what the animals eat. <laughs> but, so anyway, as we go on, so we're supposed to be girding up, our, girding up the loins of our mind 
To be sober. What does the word sober mean? In my house, it meant my dad wasn't drunk. But that's not the word that we're really looking at. It, it, it is in the long range. but So what does the word sober mean? Serious. 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 That's right. A person who is serious. A person who's solemn. It really is implying that um, a serious mind, a mind of, with purpose. Um, because if you're not that way, chances are you're going to be like Proverbs 29.11 where it says, a fool uttereth all his mind. In other words, if you keep quiet, people don't know you don't know. That's my, my husband told me that one time. He says, you know, if you don't say anything, people don't know that you don't know it. Okay, I have bridled my tongue. Anyway, to be sober is someone having a disciplined, controlled, sound mind. Okay, that, that makes sense to me. But beyond that, it really is saying we need to filter, filter all of life's circumstances through Scripture and um, fleeing intoxicating influences okay so we're to we're to filter that's easy for us you know you filter your water you're taking out the impurities Um, so but we're to filter life experiences life happens and those things that are happening seem unbelievable stressful at times, you all have either gone through it or are going through it, and and so you know what I mean by that. But beyond filtering it, in other words, asking God, reveal yourself in this circumstance. Okay, always looking at Scripture. But beyond that, it's and this came from the curriculum: fleeing, getting away from intoxicating influences. Now, what does that word intoxicating influence mean to you? Things that would take the focus, your focus away from where, because the person who's intoxicated doesn't have focus. Right. You know, their focus is all blacked up. Mm-hmm. And it's the same way with us. So many times we take our focus off of what we should have our focus on. I think that's part of being mm-hmm. sober, mm-hmm. keeping our focus where it needs to be. Right. Right, and that's so important for us not to be thinking of the, uh, as the carnal mind, the fleshly, <laughs> sexual thoughts. That yes, we women even you know we immediately think sensual. Um, it has something to do with a man's mind. It, it it's beyond that. We women are guilty also. Mm-hmm. So. Um, don't always just think about the men. So name some things that we should be filtering out of our mind. Fox News. What's that? Fox News. Fox News. <laughs> yes. You know, the world. Yeah. Okay. What else? Gossip. Filter it through Gossip. the scriptures. What? Gossip. Gossip. Mm-hmm. Negative thoughts about other people. Negative thoughts Especially about other people who live in your household. <laughs> you know, and I appreciate that. She said negative thoughts. We should filter out negative thoughts um, 
about people. And then she added, especially those that are living at your house. Now, don't look at me like that has never crossed your mind, that you have always thought, woohoo, about your husband or your children. Yeah. yeah. I, and uh, one day, a couple weeks ago, we were talking about you know, how you treat other people. And I said, let me ask you this. Would you, do you treat your brothers and sisters like you would treat a guest who came into your home? No. I said, don't you think that they deserve better treatment than guests, people you don't even know? And so that I mean, that yeah. hit me home too. You know, oh, I, yeah. there are times I wouldn't say a guest, get up and get your home. You know, yeah. I wouldn't say that. You know, I usually do, but that's. But yeah, but yeah, I wouldn't have negative thoughts all mm -hmm. the time about guests. <laughs> well, I don't know about you. You guys are probably much more have you you've arrived further on the holiness path. But there are times when my husband just irks me, okay? he And I'll go in, you know, he's irked me about something he said, and I'll go in and I say to him, I need to apologize. I'm sorry. I've not been treating you the way I should. And he goes, you haven't? <laughs> okay, so he didn't know, but God knew. Okay, so we're supposed to have our mind under control. Now, being sober-minded does not mean uh, you're to be a sourpuss. And, um, you know, because being having that sour disposition is really like having a life without joy. Right. Okay, and we've talked about joy. And I put down having a clear, clean mind is the source of joy. Because when I'm thinking right, I feel really good because I, I've yielded to the Holy Spirit. Okay, so there's another phrase in this passage here that it says, so we're to, to gird up the loins of your mind, we're to be sober, and this, this one here, to hope to the end for the grace that is to be brought unto you. Okay, so let's just talk about hope to the end. Without wavering, be steadfast, cling to the grace that God has bestowed upon you. And remember that the grace that you've experienced through salvation was nothing, you did nothing to get it. It was all Jesus. And cling to the thought of that. Um, it's the truth. That's the truth of salvation. And then it goes on to say, Okay, it's going to be brought to us, that kind of grace. This grace is going to be brought to us at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So what is that? At the revelation of Jesus Christ. So the rapture? That's the rapture. When Jesus, Jesus returns to, to this earth, um, all the mysteries that we, we have experienced, because we don't know everything about God, all of that is going to be revealed when he returns. Uh, those that are unsaved, they didn't even know that they didn't know some of them. Some of them just don't realize that the day is coming. So again, it goes back to being, be ready. Be ready with your mind, with your attitude. Because Jesus is coming. He is going to come again. And so... Pete, go ahead. I think when he comes, another thing I've thought about with this is 
when he comes, we will really understand grace. Really. Right now, we don't understand That's grace. right. Yeah. Then we will completely understand yeah. what grace is. Absolutely. Um, Peter goes on now to tell uh, them to be obedient. He's, he's told these believers that, in a way, just, just remember all that God has done for you and, and get your attitude right and, and have your mind focused on the Lord. And he says, um, in verse 14, he's telling, he says, As obedient children, not fashioning yourselves according to the former lusts in your ignorance. So, what are they not to do? Be like they were before. To be like they were before. And for some, you know, that are very righteous. Um, well, I was married for 10 years before my husband received Christ. Did I know he was unsaved? No. Okay? So, people can be obedient, you know, and our lives should be different. There should be a distinction between the unsaved and us. So there are people that kind of, hmm, they, they never really were, it's not that they weren't sinners, but they were never um, involved in bad things, you know, and uh, led a fairly pure life. But that doesn't get them saved. There's only one way to get saved. And that is put your trust in Jesus Christ and what he's done for you as he sacrificed his life for you. Uh, any comments about that verse? Verse 14 basically is saying, put it off. Put off the old man. And we've talked about that. Any other comments? I have one comment. Yes? Like, uh, what you said, put off the old uh, you know, nature. Right. But... As uh, you know, we we have also uh, the new nature and the old nature, and that's battling. Absolutely, yeah. And we need the Holy Spirit mm -hmm. to take control. Absolutely. Everything, and it's not easy. You know, no, I don't. Anybody that looks at the Christian life yeah. and says. Boy, they got it easy. Yeah, it doesn't look like they're ever having a problem in their life. <laughs> you know? No, there's a battle. There, there's a battle. Okay, so uh, Peter in verse four, uh, 15 points, out, points to them a new direction. He's telling them to be, go the opposite of their former lives. In other words, put on the new man, the new nature. They've got it. The Holy Spirit's there. He says, be holy. And this is the killer, folks, right here. Be holy in all, all manner of conversation. That doesn't mean in your talking. That, that conversation means your lifestyle in everything. You, you know, you're to be holy as a parent, you're supposed, as, a, as a friend, as, I mean, you're just to be holy in every way. That's a very high standard, isn't it? God has set a high standard for us. But this, I, I put in here that being holy, having a uh, personal holiness is God's will for every believer. Um, and how can I know it's God's will? 
How can I know that be, having being holy or having a life of holiness, how can I know that that's God's will? He's commanded it. He's commanded it. I mean, it, when in doubt, look in the scriptures, right? So that's our source. In Leviticus 11, verse 44 and 40, 45 says, Now, for I am the Lord your God. Ye shall therefore sanctify yourselves and be holy, for I am holy. For I am the Lord that bring, bringeth you out of the land of Egypt to be your God. Ye shall therefore be holy, for I am holy. So how can I know that this is God's will? I looked in the scriptures, and he commands it. Also, if it's in the Bible, believe it. It is God's will for all of us. He has such high expectations for us. And he's never going to stop. I mean, we looked at that verse um, where he is going to constantly be with us. It's in Romans and it's 1 6, but I can't um, remember. Anyway. Uh, but so we're to be holy. This is God's will. Peter is telling them this isn't something new. He told your fathers to be holy way back. And it said in that verse, um, For I am the Lord that bringeth you out of the land of Egypt. Well, we didn't live in the land of Egypt. So how can we make that apply to us? What did he bring you out of? Bondage. Bondage to sin. Mm-hmm. Okay. He brought us out of a sinful life. Now, how does, turn to Romans, Romans 12. Okay, those are, hot, those are expectations that, that God has for us. And Peter has said to these people that, to be holy. So how does that line up to Romans 12, 1? This is Paul now. Paul says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be ye conformed, be, and be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is good and acceptable and perfect will of God. That's Paul is saying the very same thing. He's saying, if you do this, then you are living a holy life. Um, We are commanded to be holy because God, who called us to himself, is holy. Now, no one can ever compare to God. We can never... Um, be perfect like God. He is perfect. He is our holy, sovereign God. Now, we, ha- we should be seeking to achieve this holiness. Um, and I guess I, my thought is, okay, we're to achieve this. But what does that really mean? What does it really mean to be Holy. What does scripture, well, Jesus even talked about it. Turn to Matthew, Matthew 22, verse 34 and 39, through 39, tell us what God's standard for holiness really is. 
It says, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, and with all thy soul, and with all thy mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like unto it, Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. So God's standard for holiness is love God and love your love others. That's what God wants us to do. And when we are doing that, we are living a holy, godly life. We are following, when we do this, we're following Jesus' commands. We're following what Paul, uh, through the Holy Spirit, has written. So, in other, in, rather than to try to describe how to be holy, let me tell you what holiness isn't. It's a little bit easier, I think, for me anyway. Holiness in a believer is not a life without sin. Man can never achieve sinless perfection. Our holiness can never match up to God's holiness because God is perfect. So we're not going to... Holiness is not, in a believer is not a life without sin. Holiness is not just something we try to work out in our lives. Now think about that. Holiness is not just something we try to work out in our lives. It is, it is allowing the Holy Spirit to work in us and through us. It is, and I put this, I think this is an accurate statement, but kind of think about this. Holiness is not a choice. It is a requirement. It is a requirement. And it's a requirement for all believers. Okay, here's something else. We are So we are set apart. We would agree. That happened when we were saved. Uh, it's an ongoing process of being sanctified. And, and we are not to be blending in with the world. We're to remember that we are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people. We are to be different. Holiness is not a list of do's and don'ts. Uh, what it really is, living according to God's standard. Um, I put this, living this type of obedient life can only be accomplished as a result of a close, intimate relationship with the one who died for us. We can you might as well just forget it. You're not going to achieve a holy, godly life if you're not working at maintaining a close relationship. And to have that close relationship with the Lord, what, what do we have to do? What are the things that we should be doing? Read our Bible. Read our Bible, pray every day. Okay? Those two things right there shouldn't be an option. We shouldn't think, well, if I have time. No, make time. My husband, he's a great one to say, you have time for what you want to do. Whatever it is you want to do, you just have time for it. So in other words, if you didn't have time to read your Bible yesterday, you just didn't make time for it. It's just 
It's just as simple as that. We are called to grow into holiness, and, and that happens as we are yielding to the Spirit and being conformed into His image. We are to constantly remind ourselves of the glorious, uh, I put in here Titus 2, looking for that blessed hope and glorious uh, appearing of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ. We need to constantly remind ourselves of that. Otherwise the world creeps in and we just become overwhelmed with situations. So as we're doing that, but in, so we know Christ is coming, but until then, that's the way, until then, okay, we must, and, and this word was in the curriculum, and I, I thought, boy, this is true, we must intentionally be ready to submit yourself, therefore, to God and resist the devil, and he will flee from you, James 4, 7. If we don't intentionally do it, our natural flesh doesn't. Exactly. That, that's the thing. You know, it, it is a battle. Like Eunice said, it is a constant battle. All our good intentions to live a godly life, uh, striving, um, striving to be seen as holy in the eyes of our God is often disrupted by the devil. So our good intentions, we've got those good intentions. But, you know, it happens. We get disrupted. Satan has a plan. 1 Peter 5.8 says, Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour. You see, our enemy is the plan of Satan. Okay, so let's look at what God tells us to do. Because God, this isn't a surprise. God knows we're in this battle. So let's look at Ephesians. Now let me just tell you about this week. And anybody that's ever taught about the devil knows what I'm talking about. I told my husband on Monday, I, I read those passages on Sunday night, and I told him, I said, be ready. I'm probably not going to be a very nice person this week. I'm probably going to be ugly and grouchy. <laughs> because I know that that Satan is out to get me. <laughs> the battle is raging. But you know, it really, this passage in Ephesians, Ephesians 6, is the answer if we would just do it. Okay, Ephesians 6.10. It says, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that ye may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against rulers of darkness, of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherefore, Take unto you the whole armor that ye may be able to withstand in the evil day, having done all to stand. Okay, let's just stop there for a minute. Um, Paul, uh, Paul wrote Ephesians, and he is saying to us that we are to not depend on our own strength. We are to claim and be strong. It says, "Be strong in the Lord." 
because we can be confident that the power of God can get us through this battle that we have. Um, it says we are to put on the whole armor of God. And I circled whole armor. It's not enough. There's, you know, it, it's a good thing to come to church three times a week, whatever. It's a good thing, but it's not enough. Put on the whole armor. You have to be doing, you have to be in the Word of God. It's not enough to just be in the Word of God once a week because the battle's raging every day. So we're to put on the whole armor of God. Any comments about those two uh, uh, scriptures? It goes on to say, stand. It never tells us, no place in scripture does it tell us, that we are to uh, attack or advance against the enemy. We are to stand. We are to, to stand and, and uh, let God do the fighting for us. The battle has been won. When was that battle won? On the cross. And yet, uh, God knows that. We, we can study this and we know that. The battle is raging. I mean, um, so we're, to, we're not to fight. We're to stand. Okay, let's go on where it says, um, verse 14, Stand therefore, having your loins girt about with truth. Okay? Truth. Truth is our, um, if there is a weapon, the truth of God's word will always get you victory. That's why I never forgot Pastor Shetler said <laughs> years and years ago, you've got to have trigger verses so that when Satan is hurling his darts at you, you have something to stand with. You stand with the Word of God, and you speak the Word of God. And when you do, you'll get the victory. So you've got to know what verses, when you are fearful, what verse do you go to? Be ready. When you are overwhelmed with with uh, worries, what, what verse do you go to? Have, what's that? 1 Peter 5, 7. That's right. That's exactly, you know. You've got to have these verses ready because the enemy is going to continue to throw those darts at you. But when you stand, gird about with truth, you're going to be winning the battle. And we go on to say that uh, it says, and having on the breastplate of righteousness, you are, you have as a believer, you are in right standing with God. We'll go on real quick. And your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel, you better know the word of God. And above all, taking the shield of faith, take what you know and share it with others. Satan will not like that. Um. Wherewith ye shall be able to quench how many darts? Just a few? No. All the darts of the wicked. 
and take on the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. And I think what's interesting, if we go to verse 18, oh, 18 through 20, and I'll close. Um, okay, we do these things. We're taking on the whole armor of God. Okay? We are protected, but there's something we're supposed to be doing. Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. And if we do that, I love these next two verses. And for me, and for you, that utterance may be given unto me, that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador. You and I are ambassadors, okay? We're ambassadors in bonds, that therein I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. Without the armor of God, you just don't, you, you can't speak. I mean, you, you think you know something, it just doesn't come out right. You've got to have the armor on. You've got to have your mind saturated with the word of God. And then you will be able to be called a victorious Christian, a Christian who is living a holy life. Any comments? Angie? The reset can be overwhelming. You know, the reset is every morning. You have that time with the Lord every morning because you need that reset after a whole day. Absolutely. Getting muddied up by the devil and yeah. everything that's happening. And you get that time in the morning where God reminds you, I'm, I have things for you today that you need to let me do Absolutely. through you. Absolutely. So you that's you the whole issue, the Holy Spirit working through us. Because every time we start doing it in ourselves, yeah. we're going to be failing. Yes. Georgia? Yeah, I was just going to say, you were talking about like time. Um, and it's easy to say, like, oh, I don't have time, I don't have time. But... <clears throat> Someone mentioned to me that, um, you know, God's the one who gave us 24 hours in the day. I know and that. And <laughs> so he's, he's given us all the time that we need. All the time that we need. But it's just a matter of how we steward it. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Donna? I was just going to say, like, the breastplate of righteousness, guarding your heart, your mind. Absolutely. Just, you know, if you think about that, mm-hmm. that if you had seen my Bible, it was all full of colors. Oh, yeah, those yeah. Those scriptures right there. I yeah. Just, we have to saturate our, our mind, and, our, and that's the way we can protect our heart. Okay, let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for doing what we could not do for ourselves. Then how you sent your wonderful Son to be our Savior. We are so thankful for Jesus. We thank you, Father, that we can have victory. Help each one of us this week to reset our mind and our heart and our life every day, so that we may stand against the wiles of the devil. We pray now that you would be with us as we go into this service, that you would continue to speak to our hearts, causing us to be a a stronger Christian, ready to fight the battle against Satan. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.